What's going on, everybody? Welcome to A Coach's Challenge. I am your host, Andrew Daly. Got another great episode lined up here for you today. I'm going to jump right into it. Uh, As always, give us a follow on Twitter, at challenge underscore cast, or shoot us an email with any uh, questions, comments, or concerns, coachchallengepodcast at gmail.com. Back today, another great episode of a Coach's Challenge podcast, uh, the Super, Sol- or Super Bowl Sunday version. Uh, got a great guest for us today. One of the best, you know, biggest well-known coaches in South Jersey. Has a record of 35-3 and three over the past three seasons, which in my calculations is the best in South Jersey. Um, 2018 Richard Wacker, Touchdown Club Coach of the Year. 2019 Football Foundation Coach of the Year for the Southern Chapter. 2019 Brooks Irvine Coach of the Year. Uh, head coach currently at Pensgrove High School. Um, coach John Emmel, thank you for being on the podcast today, man. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you for having me on. No, not a problem. And, and we'll kind of, we got a lot to talk about today. I know you got a, a great backstory, so we'll kind of get right into it here, man. Just tell us about, you know, what it was like growing up for you. Uh, I know you played a couple years at Monmouth University. Tell us about, you know, when you decided that you were going to get into coaching and some, you know, some influences for you in that regard. I think probably when I was in high school, uh, I would always consider myself to be uh, a student of the game, a guy that loved football uh, beyond, you know, just going out there and and playing with my friends and hitting somebody, somebody that liked to understand uh, how to win a game. You know, went to games as a kid, uh, followed Salem High School uh, with my my father. So – Went to games, uh, you know, throughout my childhood, like many people do. And, you know, and I think when you get to high school, you start thinking, hey, maybe one day if I get the opportunity, I'd like to come back and uh, be able to coach. And, you know, when I went to Monmouth, I, I was in uh, working to become a school teacher. And I knew that, hey, if I got an opportunity to work in the school system, I'd love to be able to coach. Sure. And then you kind of you go, you go through there and you kind of get your first job here at um, – at 20 years old. So talk about what that was like starting so young and, and you go to, I guess you got your first job at Pensgrove as an assistant coach. Did you find it that it was tough or easier to connect with the kids at, at such a young age? Well, it's kind of funny, like uh, coming up in high school, you know, Pensgrove wasn't really that good. You know, we would scrimmage them and we had a little rivalry with them, but you know, they were in the, they were in the rural division at the time. So they're playing Williamstown, they're playing Deptford. They're playing some powerhouse schools, and they were only a, a small group too. Uh, but that's the way kind of things were in South Jersey, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So they had struggled to win games, and uh, Mr. Kemp Carr, who was one of my assistant coaches, got the job there. And you know, he he's going to try to rebuild this program, who had you know won only a handful of games over the previous few years. And I was home on my summer working out, kind of debating, hey, do I want to play football? Uh, you know, and he kind of invited me up and said, hey, why don't you kind of, you know, hang out with the guys, meet these kids, see what we got going on. And as a young guy, you know, who's in college, who's probably in the best shape of his life at that time, uh, you know, I think it's easy to relate to the high school kids because they look up to you. They see mm-hmm. you in the weight room lifting more weights. You look like – you know, hey, this guy might know how to play just because of the way he looks. He's in top shape. So from that standpoint, I think that, you know, the kids really gravitate to you and are willing to listen to whatever you have to say. Sure. Uh, Coach, I think, it, and that's good to touch on uh, because it's not it's not easy to find good help today. And I'm kind of straying off topic here a little bit. But how important do you think it is to to be able to draw that line in the sand between uh, a coach slash friend, especially at such a young age. And, you know, I know we have a lot of it today with, with the guys who are coaching today. So it's, it's really important to kind of draw that line. How do you think that that kind of correlates to being a young coach? I, I think it's the hardest thing to do. Uh, for The hardest thing to find for a head coach is to find a young guy that wants to make a career out of this. Uh, you know, at 20 years old, I knew I wanted to be a head coach someday. Mm-hmm. So my perspective was, even though I related to those kids, it was always about doing the best job I could, being professional and taking it serious. 
And as I've gotten a little older the last few years, I've tried and scrapped every year to try to find a guy coming out of college that maybe would have that same type of aspiration to, to, to make a career out of this thing. And I found some that did. And I, I found some that didn't because, you know, it's just, it's just a rare thing. But I think the thing you hit on separating the guys that want to make a career out of this thing and are willing to learn and, and, and pay their dues versus the guys that just kind of, yeah, they love football and they were really good players and they just want to hang out and they kind of want to be the, the 21, 22 year old high school kid again, sure. you gotta, you gotta definitely separate the two and, and try to uh, find the guys that really want, want to be good coaches. Now, I don't think the, uh, the state, I mean, and, and it's probably a good thing, but it's not easy to coach high school football anymore. Uh, you don't just walk up and say, Hey, I want to coach. You have to go through the process. You have to be board approved. You have to have, you know, your sub sir and 60 credits. And, and a lot of these guys who just, think that they could walk up and coach when well, when they're trying to actually do it and you tell them what it what all it entails it kind of deters people and I think it makes it a little bit tougher to find to find help when you know when you don't have a lot to offer on money wise and now you're going to go out and say hey well you know if we if you don't have a teaching certification you can't work in a building and and I'm going to need you here this many hours and it, it's just I found it to be a tough situation to find um, you know fill out your staff have you been in the same boat or what Coach, you're you're speaking about my story. So after two years of college, I think I had 69 credits. And that's kind of how I got into a full position. Basically, I'd been working out with the guys all summer. You know, and Coach Carr was like, hey, I got this many positions. And nobody seems to have the college credits except a couple people. So would you like a paid spot? So I've literally printed out my transcript online, unofficial, if you know, right. you know how it works, sure. brought it into Coach Carr, and that was enough to get me approved as a paid assistant coach at the time, get board approved. Um, I went on to get my sub-cert, you know, kind of like after the fact. Right. Uh, didn't have any, like, online coaching courses or anything that they require today. And now it's kind of like, like you said, the paperwork process is so stringent I remember years later when I was head wrestling coach at our school, mm-hmm. I had a guy that was a state placer with a couple bachelor's degrees in the military, and it took us months because they wouldn't even hire him until he had every ounce of paperwork done. And this was like 2011, not that long ago. So just the way the process has changed over the last 20 years it makes it that much harder to find guys that can get through that process. No, I agree. And I think, you know, it's kind of a double-edged sword. It's a good thing because we're, we're vetting guys more and, and, you know, taking a longer process to do our background checks and making sure everybody has their credentials. But on the same hand or on the other hand, it's like, it's tough to find guys who are willing to go through the process. You're asking them to do a lot for a very little. So uh, like you said, you got to find guys who, who want to make a career out of it rather than just want to put on the shirt on Friday night. And, it, and it's tough to do sometimes. Yes, sir. I mean, coach, I, I tell guys, if I can get a guy that's willing to go through the process, I tell him, Hey, this is what you got to do. I'll pay for you to get fingerprinted. I'll pay for you to, to, to get your sub license. If that's your, your qualification, you have your associate's degree, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, but, but it's definitely not a short process. And if anybody drags their feet, they're not going to be able to help you coach. And, that, and that's right. not good for, that's not good for high school athletics. In my opinion. Right. Because if you start this process in May, you chances are, you're not going to be cleared by, uh, by the time uh, camp rolls around, but um, moving forward here, man. So you're, you're 21 years old. You get the DC job at Pensgrove. Did you guys are rolling? I think this is 2010. Um, you go eight and one. You're, you, you give up 25 points the entire year coach, which is, unbelievable it's unheard of but you're banned from the playoffs because you had a couple kids ejected in one of your games early in the season talk a little bit about that you know not going into too much detail but when did you find out did you find out immediately that you weren't going to be eligible for the playoffs and and how did that all come about so uh the next year to following my first year in 2005 I became the DC in 2006 I really made it my baby and we ran pretty much the defense that we would run from 2006 until coach Carr left in 2014 or 2013. Mm -hmm. And basically uh, 2010 was 
by far our most talented team during that 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 stretch my first tenure um we were playing our our first game and we actually lost we lost to glassboro who had uh pj james i think Corey clement was a freshman at the mm-hmm. time or maybe a maybe a sophomore i was actually a sophomore at the time so they were a stacked team we lost to them 14 13 or 13 12 and i remember walking off the field and we knew how good we were we had dominated everybody in the preseason we're like Listen, I don't think we're going to lose again. We, we felt that confident. Definitely right. was a great team. So the next week we went and won, I think, like 60 to 6. And we go down to Salem for the third game. And basically, we're up early. It's like 14 or 20 to nothing, maybe even worse. You know, it's a rivalry-type game. Those guys are frustrated. And we're on a punt return situation where one of their guys does something a little extra and one of our guys retaliates with a push, okay? And that kind of goes back. You always teach your guys, hey, the second guy always gets caught. Right. So he retaliates, and they start, like, scuffling, and it was really close to the Salem bench. Well, I'm not going to lie, half our team probably, and all the coaches left the sideline and ran, you know, towards midfield to kind of try. At the time, you're trying to de-escalate the situation. Sure. Um, anyway, they, they break it up. You know, no helmets were were taken off. It wasn't that bad of an incident, in my opinion. But uh, basically, they tell us afterwards that three of our players are ejected right after the play. Not, not hey, they can't come back in. The referee's sitting them out. They're telling them they're going to be ejected. So two of them were ejected for what they called as what they call fighting. One was ejected for leaving the bench, which ironically. He was on the field as the punt returner on the play. No Salem players were ejected, which was kind of ironic, but it's one of those deals where, hey, you're on the road. You know how it is. Their AD and administration is on the sideline. I think sure. the home team in that situation is, is given a little bit of a favorable break. But anyway, as soon as it happened, I said something to the head coach on the sideline. I, I do consider myself to be a student of the game. I said, listen, I said, if those three are officially out, they're going to ban us from the playoffs. Now, this is the third game this season. We're up 40 to nothing. So at that point, we're kind of like, we feel like we lost that game. We go in. It's kind of like an unknown situation. Until you get, you call the NGSIA, but until they get the paperwork or the reports, they're kind of not really giving you much of an informa- much information. So to, to, as the referee said, he, he ejected three of our players, two for fighting, one for leaving the bench. And at that point, under the rules, if you get three players ejected, you're no longer eligible for the playoffs. So talk about a disappointment. We think we have one of the best teams. Um, we went through the rest of that season. Like you said, for the whole season, we gave up 25 points, and I think we gave up 19 in the first three games, as I alluded to. Um, it's tough. You know, we put up a fight. We, we, we got lawyers. We went to court. We tried to basically just fight for the right to have uh, an opinion and, and, a, and a voice in the situation. And there's no appeal process. Right. It was tough for us because one of the three players was ejected for something he definitely didn't do. He he was ejected for leaving the bench, and he was the punt returner. Right. Yeah, that's tough. And, uh, and I so didn't even know like about you, that. You so is you feel unfair, you know? And that's I mean, there's really I think it's the fact that there's there's no appeal process. So even if you if you are wronged, or if somebody is wronged, you don't have a say. And you know how much we put into this thing. Sure. So um, you know, holding that team together. We try to do some things like we're practicing late in the season and they, and you know, we have, we have, we feel like we have the best team. We would have been, I think, first or second in PowerPoints. Uh, but, you know, basically they just, they start to play off and you're not one of the eight selected. They skip right over you. Sure. And to keep those kids together, um, it's tough. Yeah. Um, we ended up playing Thanksgiving Day against Pennsville, who had lost in double overtime to the eventual champion in the semifinals. And we started the game a little sloppy, but I think we won that game 44-7. That's how much better we were than probably every other team, yeah. especially uh, later in the season. But, you know, that's one of those deals where no matter how many years I coach, uh, we, we felt like a championship got away from us. Sure. Now, and I didn't even know that. And admittedly, as a head coach, I probably should know that. But three – so you get three kids ejected in one game or in, or in the course of the season and you're not eligible no, it's, for playoffs? It's, it's in the regulations. If you get two – if two play, if one player gets two disqualifications during the season, he's not eligible for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. If the team gets three, the program is not eligible. Wow. Yeah, and that so. 
happens, ironically, it happened later in the season, I think, with Bridgeton. They had a similar situation. Basically, a kid scored a touchdown, an altercation broke out, and they ran their they're running the extra team on the field. And basically, the referees threw out, I think, every kid that left the sideline, even though many of them were just coming to substitute. Yeah. And Bridgeton wasn't eligible for the postseason either. Wow. So kind of a weird situation. I think since then, I can't tell you any team that's faced it. It kind of was – controversial at the time because you know that's the last resort you don't want to see a team of high school kids penalized for you know maybe something to happen between a couple individuals so sure. i think it definitely was a wake-up call for us and and a tough pill to swallow yeah definitely so we're rolling on here 2011 2012 it was a crazy couple of years at that time um some things went down you took over as interim head coach and and admittedly you had said you were kind of ready to throw in the towel after that talk a little bit about what went down and, you know, uh, what made you decide to stay involved in coaching and not, you know, not uh, give up? Well, basically the next year, you know, we went into next year at that point with, with a real chip on our shoulder as a program and a lot of hostility and tension because we had let something get away. We had a lot of guys back, but, um, and we opened up the first game with Glassboro, who was the defending champion. Corey Clement was a junior on that team. We had him at home. And we really wanted to send a message. We beat them 54 to nothing. It mm-hmm. was 35 to nothing at the half. So that kind of just cemented the fact that, hey, if we had been in the playoffs the year before, we, we were the best team and, and we were here to stay. Through the course of the year, everything that went wrong, that could go wrong, went wrong. We had an injury. We had bad weather against the team that probably matched up with us better in those conditions. So we go into the playoffs. We're seven – I want to say we're, we have three losses in the regular season. And we won our first-round playoff game at Paulsboro. And following the game, basically, you know, the, the co- head coach got suspended. Um, superintendent pulls me in and says, basically, hey, you know, you're a non-tenured staff member. We want you to be the head coach. We have full confidence that you can do it. I only asked one question because it was the, probably the toughest thing I ever went through. I said, at what time, when would the head coach be able to come back? And they said, so basically give me a timeline here. Mm -hmm. They said, he's not coaching this week. He won't be back before Monday. So at that point it was like, listen, do I, do I just basically quit, walk out the door? Um, And, you know, for that, at that point, put my coaching career in serious limbo and, and really like turn my back on the players, even though that, that definitely was something I thought about, or do I take over, as the interim coach for the playoff game and try to hopefully lead us to victory. And then, you know, the head coach comes back the final week would be in the championship. So I, I said, basically, Hey, okay, I'll be the interim coach. Um, you know, tough situation. We, we played the next week against the undefeated team at home. We were tied at the half. We ended up losing 21, 14, you know, I'm, I don't know, 27, 28 years old at that point, even though I've been coaching a while, that's not the situation where you want to be coaching your first game as a head coach. So it was tough uh, for me personally. And then when the season was over, you know, I really was like, Hey, wait a minute. I I don't want to be put in that situation again. Maybe it's best. I just step away from, from the program, take some time off and and kind of recharge my batteries. Yeah, sure. But you know, you you talk about recharging the batteries that doesn't last long because you wind up coaching elsewhere. Correct. Yeah, so I I really told you know the head coach at the time, hey, I'm I'm not coming back, and that was in the spring, and I really sat it out. I was prepared to sit it out, but you know, there's a few people over the years that I have great relationships with uh, at that point, and one of which was Coach Clyde Folsom at West Effort, mm-hmm. and we had always had a, a professional relationship and respect. Um, at least I had a tremendous amount of respect for him. We had been a part of their passing league since 2005. So a lot of times, you know, as the assistant coach, I run that team through the summer as the DC, you know, I'm actively involved in the coaching aspect of our program. So, you know, I had a great relationship with him and, 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 and was a fan of their program. They're, they probably were one of the most successful up to that point. You know, if you go back from 2002 to 2012. Right. Um, so, so he, he basically reached out to me in, in July and was like, coach, you know, I got a paid position I really could use you. You know, he said all these things that he had no, he had, he did not have to say. 
And yeah. for me, it was a no-brainer, even though it would have been tough to still teach down here in the Pensgrove School District and, and get up there every day for practice. It definitely was doable. And for me, the opportunity to coach with him and kind of say, hey, well, let's let's recharge and give this thing another shot. It was a no-brainer. So he took me on in 2012, and I coached with him for two years. Yeah, so you coached West Effort for 2012-2013, a uh, very storied program in, in, in the state of New Jersey. Uh, what did you learn in, the, in those two years, and, and how do you feel like it helped you prepare, you know, for what was your incoming future of, a, of being a head coach? Well, I mean, I don't make any bones about it. The, the guys that have been the most influential guys on me are, you know, Coach Carr from, you know, being a young assistant coach under him, and then Coach Folsom. I think Folsom taught me, and being at West Effort taught me more than anything else, was how to run a program how to mm-hmm. run a successful program. The thing that stood out to me is from the second I walked in that door, the culture of that place is unbelievable. The mm-hmm. respect the kids show you. I walked there as an assistant coach, never opportunity to kids, and those kids gave me the respect, probably the same respect they gave Coach Folsom from the second I walked in that room, and that's rare. That's something that speaks to the character of the kids there. I think um, the other thing it taught me is – in Pensgrove, at that point, we had always been about, you know, tough, hard-nosed football. We didn't have a ton of guys on the team that didn't love football, that just weren't there because football was their life. Um, what Wes Deffer taught me was is uh, football can be enjoyable for guys that aren't necessarily the best players. Sure. So there's a lot of guys in that program that are a part of that program and they never get to be a star on the field. Whereas up to that point, I was like, well, I never, I never knew what it was like to, to be a kid that just loves to practice, that loves the team. Just those, those great program kids that perhaps aren't on the all-conference team, that aren't going to be going and playing Division One or Division Two football. Like yep. those are the kind of guys that are out there that really make high school football special. And that's, there's some of the things I learned at West Effort outside of the X's and O's is that, you know, the, the, the leadership and the character of the kids is super important and that you can have a team full of guys that love playing high school football, even though they're not necessarily the best football players. No, I think that's a great point, coach. And, um, you know, those guys, you know, like you said, they're out there every day, they're working, they're not necessarily getting all conference honors, but those are the kind of guys who are, who are going to make up pretty much the foundation of your program. And, you know, you're going to have your, your stars, but for the most part, you know, it's those guys who aren't getting recognized that kind of make up the landscape of your program. So it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good insight there. So uh, 2014 comes around, you know, the job at Pensgrove comes back open. Uh, talk about that process going and going back and applying for that position no. and ultimately getting that job. And like I said, talk about what went into that. Uh, well, basically, so in 2013, Coach Carr coached his uh, final year. He resigned, and uh, they lost in the championship after winning it in 2012. He resigned in mid-December, and then it kind of became, okay, well, this is a program that's now, you know, coming off the finals loss, a finals win the year before, one of the premier group one programs. And I just remember hey, when I was there 10 years ago, we were like the bottom of the barrel. We mm-hmm. were one and nine the year before. We were two and eight our first year. And now 10 years later, we are one of the premier programs. Now, the, the thing I thought about was, okay, well, here's my opportunity. If I want to be a head coach, do I, do I jump on it? And, you know, I spent a lot of time speaking to people I, I respect. And one of the things Coach Folsom said to me at the time was, well, listen – and I coached him now for two years, and I feel like I was a valuable member of his staff. It was like his words to me were, if you don't take this job, at least put yourself out there to get then Then when, when do you become a head coach? Like, what are you waiting for? You already teach there. You've already coached there. The next job you take, you're going to be changing your education you know, profession. You're going to be switching buildings. He's like, with this, he's like, I think this is the, the least risk involved. Now, now, obviously, it's it's tough when you're following a guy that's had a lot of success. So there's some other things involved. But for the most part, he was the one that was the most encouraging. He said, 
if you really want to be a head coach and you know you've been in this thing a long time and that you said that was your goal when you were young, here's your shot. So mm-hmm. at that point, that really gave me the kind of the incentive to say, you know what, I do want to be a head coach still, even though, you know, I had some, some trials and tribulations, I guess you could say. So let's let's try to make it happen. So I applied. I think at that point, there was no doubt I probably was the best candidate. And, uh, you know, after some discussion, I accepted the position without much hesitation. Sure. So, you you know, you take over that job and you would, you know, you just touched on it. You're coming in with with high expectations, man. What was that like for you to try and live up to those expectations? Or did you kind of just come in and, and do things your own way and take take what you've learned from, you know, your previous employers and kind of implement that? One thing I'll tell you is, uh, in my opinion, whenever there's a coaching change, I don't care how much talent is on the team, it's going to be very hard to maintain the, the, the same level of the same level of uh, the same standard that first mm-hmm. year. And it's just, it's just the way it is. You at every program. That's kind of what I did. I said, look, so what I said, how realistic is it for me? to have a better year as a new coach coming in, replacing a guy. Because, frankly, uh, you know, coach, guys leave for a reason. Guys typically don't walk away from a team that is the best team and they don't hand you the keys to a Ferrari. Now, that's not to say we didn't have a good situation. We had some good players. But obviously, there was a lot of work that needed to be done. And when you come in, you know, you're trying to do things your way but you're battling that, well, this is how we did it before, and this is what we used to do. And even though you might be have the best way in the world to do something, you're going to receive that uh, you know, blowback from the players, fans, community members, administrators, other teachers in the building, and that, that message of, hey, this isn't the way we did it. And I think the other side of things is you got a lot of people that when you're successful for a long time and you've been in some place a long time – that people, you know, don't like the way things have been done. So they view you coming in as a way to change the way things have been done. So the thing I say to people is, is when somebody has a lot of success, there's a reason they had success. And if you start changing things, some of those things are reasons that they had success. And, you know, as, as a new coach, you know, you want to come in, you want to bring your own touch on things. And I just think, uh, you know, I think that's one of the hardest things, trying to trying to change the program to the way you want to run it, but also maintain the standard and the expectations that people have had previously. Absolutely. So you come in, coach, and, you know, your first three years, you go 14 and 16, you know, you're 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 going 500. it wasn't really the, you know, the, the norm there. Do you ever feel like you were, or people were losing faith in you at that point? Or, you know, was your job ever in question or talk a little bit about how you f- kind of fought through those first uh, three years and, and got to where you are today? Well, I just think, you know, absolutely. We, we were competitive in every game. Mm-hmm. We just, uh, we just uh, somehow, I hate to say, coach, we just couldn't catch a break. My first year we went five and five. We lost my first game in overtime after leading most of the game, we lost by one. Uh, I remember we went to the playoffs that year. We were finally healthy. We were up 14 nothing with about 10 minutes to go and self-destructed, gave up a long touchdown pass, a blocked punt for a touchdown, and then a late score with under a minute to lose by six. That mm-hmm. team went on to win the next week and go to the finals and lose close. Um, so we, we finished 5-5 five and five my first year. The next year, you know, you get your first full offseason as a head coach. I think that to me is like where you really get motivated because you're like, all right, well, now I can build this team the way I want. I can go in the building. I can try to find these guys that maybe can help us win games and we want them to be a part of our program and they haven't been here and that get them committed early. And that 2000 team really good. Uh, we just were decimated with injuries. We lost two of our best players in the second game, one to a you know torn ACL, lost this season. Another guy had – uh, a lacerated uh, kidney, wow. missed like six games. So it just was kind of like bad, bad breaks. But I'll tell you this, in those first two years, we played hard. In mm-hmm. 14 and 15 season, we beaten Camden at the half, some of the best Camden teams they've had with Brad Hawkins and Ron Johnson, these guys and they're playing on 
uh, Saturdays in Michigan, we were beating those guys at the half. So we were really competitive. We just could not, we just could not catch a break and win. It seemed like we were all together. I think yeah. 16 was definitely the toughest year because at that point, you know, we, we had a younger team and frankly, we really weren't that good. So we started off the season, you know, 0 and 2. And that's where at that point, you know, we're 5 and 5, 5 and 5, 0 and 2. And I'm like, man, like we, we need something to turn around. And I'll never forget that was the game that kind of changed the way I coached. We went down to Salem and we we're playing our rival. You know, they were one and one. They had Jonathan Taylor, who was a senior, who, you know, has won almost every award in college except for the Heisman Trophy the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So he was a senior. He had averaged like 250 games, first two games. Uh, they had a senior heavy team. That's our rival. And everyone's like, hey, man, you guys are going to get out and get killed. And I got a bunch of freshmen. I got three freshmen starting on, on defense. I got a young team, maybe nine starters, nine guys that graduated or nine stars. Right. So we go down there, coach, and we played the game of our life. Um, you know, we won 20 to six, I think, or 20 to eight. And I'm not joking. Before that game, I literally had like my coming to Jesus moment. I sat down, I said, listen, I said, I've been in this thing now for over 10 years. I said, I love coaching, but maybe this isn't for me because losing takes a toll on you when you're a competitive guy. And I kind of sat down, prayed a little bit about it. And I said, listen, if if this is meant to be, I just need some, I don't, I don't ever pray to win, but I said, I I just need the strength or a sign showing me that the right path. And I'm not a real religious man, Mm -hmm. but that game, we went down there, we beat them. We ended up winning four straight. We got to four and two. Uh, and we, we lost the next four. We lost our last four games to finish four and six, including a playoff game. And it was to some quality teams. But at that point, I had never felt lower than when we were 0-2 facing the possibility of going 0-3. And from that point on, I said, you know what? I, I just coached a little differently, and I knew some good things were going to come for me. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And, uh, you know, it's pretty crazy how you go out there against somebody like uh, Jonathan Taylor and – and you're able to to pull out a win there, uh, Coach. Seems like a good time to to lighten things up a little bit before we get into more present day stuff. That's right. I'm talking about the hot route segment. But before we do that, be sure to follow us on Twitter at challenge underscore cast. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe if you like what we're doing. Subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Anchor, all that good stuff. Leave some comments uh, and some ratings. You know, uh, I want to thank everybody out there for listening. We've had a uh, a very successful start here, and I just want to keep this thing going. So, Coach, you ready to go in the hot route segment? Yeah, I have no idea what you're going to ask me. Let's go. <laughs> that's that's the beauty of it. Here we go. In honor of today being the Super Bowl, what is your favorite Super Bowl party food? Super Bowl party food. I'm going wings. Yeah, me too. All right. Best atmosphere that you've ever coached in? Best atmosphere? Uh, last year, 2018 bowl game uh, up at MetLife. In okay. the second half, when we took the lead. Good man. Favorite player to watch in the NFL? Favorite to watch in the NFL? I'd say uh, when he's on a roll, Tom Brady. He still do it, man. At forty whatever years old, man, he can still spin it. So, top two characteristics that describe your coaching style? Um, hmm. I'd say uh, intelligent, uh, and I would say. A hard worker. There you go. All right. And then last question. If you could sum up your career up to this point in one word, what would it be? Uh, unbelievable. All right. That's good, I mean, man. You survived that. It's all good. That's, yeah. the, that's the fun of the uh, the hot route segment. You never know what's going to come. You never know what answers are going to come. So good job surviving that. Uh, I do want to take a moment here to touch on, guys, March, Thursday night, March 12th. If you're listening, you're in the tri-state area. Uh, a night of football, second annual. Uh, we've got over 20 college speakers confirmed. Last year, we had over 150 high school coaches from from South Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware, all over. Uh, we're going to have a bigger and a better uh, event this year. Uh, just hit me up on Twitter at challenge underscore cast if you're interested in coming. It's a great night of uh, of networking and, and clinicking with with some great minds. We got FBS coaches, we got D2, we got FCS. Uh, D3 guys from all over the tri-state area. So 
Uh, if you're interested, shoot me a tweet or shoot me an email. Uh, we'll move on here, Coach. Good job surviving the hot route segment. Uh, as we start moving into more present-day stuff, man, the past three years at Penns Grove, you guys have been on an absolute roll. You're one of the top teams in, in the state of New Jersey. You're 35-3 and three over the past three years. Talk about, and I know you touched on it a little bit, but talk about how this run really started and how you've been able to maintain it, Coach. So after that, the, the four or six season of 2016, you know, there was a big push from a lot of people to, to, to find a new head football coach. Um, you know, long story short, uh, even though, you know, the, my pre, the previous coach for me had been successful, Pensbrough isn't Paulsboro. It's not Cherokee. It's not West Deptford. It's a program that other than 2012 had never won a sectional title. So there are places in South Jersey that maybe aren't the most successful, but they want you to win every year. And if you don't win, you are going to face the heat. And I definitely face the heat. So after that season, I thought to myself, look, we got to shake things up. We got to have an identity. We got to find a way to get some excitement. I had lost a lot of seniors from the year before, but I knew I had some young talent uh, coming back. Some of those set freshmen I I to that started uh, 2016 and took their lumps. And I said, listen, we're just going to go to an up-tempo style. We're going to sling the ball over the field. We're going to try to score as many points as we can. And honestly, my theory behind it was, was this simple. I'll be getting, I'll be establishing an identity. All the kids will get as many touches as possible. We'll all put up a lot of numbers. So even if we are going to continue to lose games, everybody's going to get a lot more yards, a lot more touchdowns and feel a lot better about themselves. So hopefully I can uh, put some energy into our program. And the other thing was this, we had won the West effort passing league in 2015. We had some, some other success over the years going to Rutgers and Townsend and Maryland, some other seven on sevens. And we always seem to win a lot more games in seven on seven than we did in real football. So my thing was, Hey, maybe we can try to turn, you know, the real football into some seven on seven and we'll be able to duplicate some of that success. Yeah. So that's what we did. And uh, in 2017, I had a very average line, but as a team, we led the state of New Jersey in passing yards. My starting quarterback threw for 2,900 yards. I had another guy that, that split reps and got some, got some time, more of a wildcat type QB. He threw for two, 300 yards. Between the two of them are 3,300 yards led the state of New Jersey. So go from four and six to leading the state of New Jersey and passing. We went 10 and two, won a lot of games, had an opportunity actually to be 12 and 0 with a very young team. So you guys are on a definite roll here, coach. Um, you know, talk about, talk about this past year and, and what you guys were able to accomplish this past year, because it was a pretty special season for you. Yeah. So following that 2017 team, you know, we, uh, brought a lot of guys, back and the message was clear hey anything less than a championship would be disappointing you know you always expect to win every game I don't I don't care if I was a player or a coach you know never went into a game thinking we didn't have a chance to win and that was the case the last two years and we on a great run we went 13 and 0 in 2018 some of them involved you know big second half comebacks or maybe surprising blowouts and then we carried that momentum into this year uh, up until the last game. We had won 25 straight games, which I think is a heck of an accomplishment. Sure, it's set absolutely. Our <laughs> set our school record. Um, and as you know, you know, everyone's trying to win. The kids on every team, even the ones that are losing, are working their butt off every week, maybe even harder to try to overcome those mistakes. And, and what I learned as a young coach is winning a high school game is one of the hardest things to do. And, you know, the last couple of years to be able to make it look easy, um, you know, is a credit to some of the things we've changed over the years. Only most of the work and performance of our players. Sure. Um, you know, and, and some of the memories we have the last three years, you know, 35 and three, it's kind of, like I said, I use that word unbelievable because you're talking about a guy that went, the, that went to Penn's Grove in 2004 and we were one of the worst group one programs. In the last two years, you know, we ranked top 10 in South Jersey to kind of be, to have a three and two record against Paulsboro and be three and L against them the last two years to kind of swing, to kind of swing our, 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 what people think about us. 
I went into Holy Cross High School yesterday or Friday for a showcase game against Burlington City. I got on my Pensgrove football shirt. Nobody really knows who you are. <laughs> and this guy working security goes, oh, Pensgrove football guy's got a really good team. Like that's, that's something that doesn't happen overnight, as you know, and, sure. and that's something I'm very proud of. Yeah, that's awesome, Coach. And uh, as we kind of segue here into our last couple of questions, um, you know, Coach, I, you've been known to take a little bit of an unconventional method, at least, you know, for New Jersey when it comes to scheduling out-of-state games. Uh, talk a little bit about some of the teams that you've played, you know, out of state um, and why you think this is a good idea and just kind of what goes into that. And, you know, what's that experience like for you and and for the kids? Well, I think uh, I think the credit goes to some other guys, too, that kind of set that standard. I think Coach Henson at Timber Creek. Right. Yeah, he does it a lot, too. So problem there's probably others before him that I'm, I'm not thinking about right now that, you know, they go out there and they play teams from around the country and they, and they get their kids that travel experience of what it's like to play, you know, on college in college at the next level. And my thinking was honestly is, you know, I love our kids at Penn's Grove and my feeling was I don't want to be ugly. It's like this really good team. I want to go out and I want to play some really good teams from other parts of the country. And I want to be, I don't want to say nationally known, but I, I want I want people to know who our kids are. I want people to recognize that our kids are, are, are really good players. We have good kids here in South Jersey. So I, I, w- I wanted to play teams from outside this area where we're not going to play them every year. It's going to be special. So in 20, after 2017, I started really looking hard to play what most coaches would say is a travel game. The opportunity to go travel, you know, five, six or more hours away and play another team. And we had set up a game with a team near Pittsburgh. Well, we were looking like we were going to be good and they were looking like they weren't going to be that good. So I was like, well, wait a minute. We readjusted and we're like, well, maybe we can find another team. So we put an ad on Max Preps. You can go on Max Preps. I'm a big advocate of them. I use, you know, weekly to update my stats and uh, you know, promote our program and everything. Sure. So, so if you go press and you follow the net rankings and all that stuff, they, they, they do a great job of promoting high school football. Um, and you go in there and you can put a, you can put something on the games wanted feature. So you put something on the games wanted and everybody, a lot of people from around the country will contact you now, nine times out of 10 or 99 times out of a hundred, these schools are not a great fit. For one, we're a small program. We have about 45 kids in our program. We have about 550 kids in our school. Um, Most of the schools that are looking to travel have a large budget, have a system, and are the kind of program that a small school like us are not going to be able to compete with. Mm -hmm. But in 2018, we got fortunate. Union City, Tennessee had lost a game, and Union City has won four Tennessee group two state titles since 2010. So their coach called me up and he's like, Hey, you know, we'll come to you. They're like, we'll come to you. It's, it was like a 14 hour trip for them from like Western Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And they're like, they're like, we play games. We'd like to make it like a week of it. So they came up, we actually, you know, being in New Jersey, we have a lot to offer. They came up on a Wednesday, arrived in the morning by bus practiced Wednesday on Thursday. They made a trip up to the nine 11 Memorial you know, they brought their administrators, they brought their cheerleaders on uh, Friday and they, they, they practiced at night. On Friday morning, they did a, a, a trip up to Philadelphia and the Constitution mm-hmm. Center and the Liberty Bell. And then on Friday night, we played a game. Now, we beat them. They were competitive. It wasn't one of their best teams. It's tough to win a game when you're doing all that stuff. No, but it's, it, but it's But it's a lifetime of memories for those people in that community. Sure. Now, last year we went on the road, we played Linganore, Maryland. So mm-hmm. again, you know, we're looking to kind of play a team from a different state. Linganore ended up 12 and two. They lost to us and they lost to the group three state champion in Maryland. A really good program. I reached out to Josh Mace, and I coach from Maryland. What can you tell me about this program? And he said, listen, he said, I would compare them to like a Cherokee. He said when they're really good, he said in the, in the 2000s, they were really good. He said, I don't think they're that good anymore. First thing I thought is I'm Pensgrove. We have a pretty good team. But if I'm facing one of those Cherokee teams, he's talking about we're going to be in trouble. Right. So <laughs> so he uh, 
we ended up going down there. They, they won the state, they won their state championship in 2017 and won the finals in 18. We jumped on them early, kind of made it a little easier than it was. They were really good. They finished 12 and two, but again, it's the opposite because the college coaches, I'm sure as you do and other coaches in South Jersey talk to college coaches who come in here to recruit our kids and they have other areas from, from around the country. They have other uh, states they're recruiting. And I tell them right away, I'm like, where do you recruit? And they're like, Oh, I recruit Maryland. I'm like, Oh, we played Lingenore. We beat them this year. Oh, really? Okay. They're good. Oh, we yeah. play, Oh, you recruit Tennessee. Well, we played Union city. We right. beat them in 2018. And their first thing is like, man, how is this little town playing these schools? And I'm like, well, you know, because we pursue the opportunity to get our program experience playing other people working on this year. I'd love to take a trip down to Florida. I'd love to take a trip down to Georgia. Um, you know, but if, if you work hard and you can find the right situation, I think it's a great experience for your kids. And I'm a huge advocate of, of teams in our area playing football against other teams from around the country, because I think we have really good. And I think we're going to look better. Oh, absolutely. And I think, like you said, man, it's just, it's an experience for the kids that the kids are going to, you know, remember for the rest of their lives. So you're not only getting exposure, you're not only playing good talent, but you know, you're giving these kids memories and that's, and that's a lot of what this, this game is all about. So uh, coach, we're going to switch up here and probably our last question here. I know that you're heavily involved in the, in the coaching community. You, you enjoy going to clinics, you enjoy speaking. Uh, Talk about how, you know, how important you think that is to, to stay connected with other coaches in order to kind of keep this game thriving, especially in, in the South Jersey area. Well, I, I, I have, as I've now been in this thing for, you know, 10 years as an assistant and this past season, the head coach, I'm a huge advocate of uh, professional relationships and respect. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, you meet people and, you know, whether you, uh, believe it or not, or, you know, even though we have some, some individual rivalries and we have some people that we don't have close relationships with for whatever reason, at the end of the day, we're all on the scene. You know, I give every, every coach and every player, and I want to do whatever I can to support both my development and their development. And, uh, you know, last year I had opportunity to speak at the Glacier Clinic in Atlantic City. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a big you know, kind of a professional step for me because I was 34 coming off, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, being able to speak amongst my peers to a lot of guys I coach against or coached with or learned from too. That to me was, it was a huge thing. I, you know, I attended your event, which I thought was an awesome opportunity because, you know, it's not every day you can go within an hour and see the kind of speakers that, you know, you're bringing to Cherry Hill East that, uh, you know, you can get it like a Glacier Clinic in Atlantic City. We're blessed on the East Coast to have these major cities and opportunities pretty much within an hour of here. Sure. In other parts of the country, that doesn't go on. So for this year, I traveled. Uh, I got down to the SDA kitchen. Which I thought the benefit of it was for me was, you know, throughout the from, from December to the spring, uh, you know, we have a ton of college coaches that come into our building that, that we try to try to recruit our players and promote, you know, the possibility of them playing at the next level. And the benefit to me of going to the SDA convention was to, I got to within two days, I got to see all those coaches and have contact with them and all the coaches I, I, I try to make contact with throughout the year. Mm-hmm. I was able to see them within a 24, 48 hour period, you know, promote our guys kind of, you know, uh, you know, reinforce this relationship that hopefully will get my players to college because that to me is, is, is why we're in this to, to try to get people the opportunity to, to take these things to another level and use them the rest of their life. Um, a couple weeks ago, because I heard your, your, your coaches challenge podcast, I went down to the play fast football clinic in Northern Florida. And I thought it was a great experience for different reasons because down there I'm with other high school coaches mm-hmm. from Northern Florida, from Southern Georgia, who are some of the best at what they do. And now I'm learning what I'm learning is how to make my program better. And I'm right. building relationships with guys like me that are in other States. And, sure. uh, you know, as I've gotten a little older and I hate to say older, cause I'm still 35 <laughs> when I was, when I was a young coach, 
you know, I wanted to hear from the big names. I wanted to know what, you know, Bud Foster was doing on defense, or I wanted to know what the Penn State linebackers were doing, or I wanted to know what the Florida, University of Florida, when Urban Meyer was there, what their defensive backs were doing or what Tim Tebow was doing. And now that I've gotten a little older and a little more in this thing and a little more established, what I've learned is those guys are great coaches, but the problems they have or the solutions they have, I, I do not have those problems and those solutions. No, you're 100% right. More from Division three football coaches. I learned more from high school coaches. Yeah, I've taken more stuff from quality high school programs the last few years than quality college programs because what I found out, and I learned this when I did my presentation last year, is that the things I deal with and the kind of kids I have are probably the kind of kids you have and most kids have, and it's the kind of thing you know we need to get better at at the high school level in order to have a better program. Sure. And I think you're, you're hundred percent right. I had somebody tell me a, a week or two ago, he's like, Oh, I got some film on the, on the 49ers. If you want to take a look and get some stuff, I said, you know, thanks, but uh, I'll look at it, but there's nothing that the 49ers are doing that, that, you know, we're going to be able to to do right now. So that's a good point of, uh, you know, of what you make, man. I appreciate the kind words uh, on your end and uh, coach, just wrapping it up, man. Uh, last question here: What do you guys, you know, you got? What do you guys got coming back? What's on the horizon for you? What's on the horizon for the program? Well, I think uh, one thing I can tell you about our program is expectations are high. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, coming off thirty-five and three, we do have quite a bit back. Um, we we had seven starters back on defense, really good young kids. Um, you know, I'm really actively involved in player development. One thing I, I take a lot of pride on in, uh, my son is a sophomore. He goes to school for me. He's in our program. Is I don't care how good you are. It's kind of like that thing I learned at West Effort. If you join football, you're going to enjoy it. It's my job to, to make it a fun experience no matter how good you are. And number two, we're going to make you better. So mm-hmm. if all of our players continue to get better, we got a chance to be pretty good. I know when the schedules come out and they came out a couple weeks ago, people start looking at it from the outside and they're like, well, there's a win. There's a loss. Kind of what we do probably with the Eagles or some of the professional teams we follow. We want to, we want to play the season months before, as soon as the schedule comes out. And I think, uh, you know, as a player, you know, you can't get hung up into that and you can't look at, well, this guy, uh, this team lost all these guys. This team's got all these guys back. Let's just hand them the trophy now. If anything, my career has showed me, I'm telling you, in, in 2016, I lost everybody. We were four and six that year. The next year, we went 10 and two. Um, right. So just because you you might have a whole new starting unit or you, you might have everybody back, everybody's starting over. We're all and oh, and we have very high expectations, and we have some very good players back. I it's like they can be state champions. So, and that's why this is the greatest sport in the world. Sure. And coach, you know, that's going to wrap it up for us, man. Uh, I appreciate you coming on today and, and being a guest here on a coach's challenge. There you hey, guys thanks. have, yeah, no problem coach. There you guys have it, man. 2018, 2019 coach of the year recipient, uh, head coach at Pensgrove high school coach, John Emmel. That'll wrap it up for another episode of Coach's Challenge. Stories told by coaches, but heard by everyone.